Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haida Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hi Mevish, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. We were just talking about, you know, just, just before we went online, about how, um, you know, we get coughs and colds, and it's kind of normal before the pandemic. Um, and it kind of went a bit weird during the pandemic, you know, normal coughs and colds and ailments and and backache and knee pain and God knows what, which was sort of, you know, quite straightforward, went a bit, I don't know, it went sort of topsy-turvy. I think certainly there's been a lot of changes in people's perceptions of health um, and the importance of health, I think, has dawned on a lot of us. Um, I think there's definitely been a, a change in what we class as minor ailments and, and other ailments that really need attention. And I think people have really started reflecting on their well-being and the importance of looking after themselves. I think that's definitely caused a shift in a lot of workplaces and work environments, but also in a, a lot of people changing the way they view their work-life balance. Do, do you think people have taken on more responsibility for themselves in terms of health since then? Yeah, I would like to think so. I think certainly in my role as a GP um, and in my role as a coach, I'm finding people are definitely bringing a bit more attention to the importance of work-life balance and really giving time to their families, giving time to themselves. Whereas I think previously we were in a very fast paced environment, aren't we? We're sort of chasing our tails. We're very career orientated. We are very um, time poor. And I think that's been something that people have really tried to change over the last two years. Um, and I, and I, I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, the onus is less on us and sort of more on a, a um, sort of collective and, you know, more on a holistic or sort of broader society that, 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 that maybe we can share this burden rather than just you know, being um, on the shoulders of the healthcare professional. I'm all for holistic health. I do think that we need to pay attention to the mind-body model, as it were, um, and how the environment really affects us as individuals as well. And then literally everything comes from us, isn't it? It starts with self and then whatever we give out um, comes from within ourselves. But ultimately, our environment will impact on us um, in varying ways as well. It's all sounding very spiritual. What's going on? I think it's the the name of your podcast, right? Surgical Spirit. <laughs> I think I think I'm in the flow now. So so I mean, were you more interested? I mean, you know, sort of growing up, were were, were you more interested in, you know, like the whole the spirit and all that? I mean, I was really interested in, you know, um, the mystical realm of existence i always find that really fascinating and you know growing up you know within a religious family you know that's what we kind of talked about really not much about materialism more about the metaphysics did you sort of have that environment or was it 
totally a no-go area? I think I was um, in in the best of both worlds, whereas, you know, a lot of um, importance was given to academics, so the science world, as it were, so based on hard facts. But at the same time, I was a very avid reader, so I would love to read books, and it was almost like an escapism, so you'd, you'd go into the world of the mind, right? Um, I would love books by Enid Blyton, for example, The Magic Far Faraway Tree was one of my favourite books, and I think... I was a deep thinker because of that, and I would question a lot of things. Um, and I think really because of the way my life experiences panned out in childhood, I became very attuned to intuition, and intuition always then falls very closely with spirituality. And I think although I wasn't in a very practicing religious household, I think the, the seeds of morality and um, values uh, and spirituality were perhaps sown around that time. And then I've kind of just grown it myself as I've got older. Yeah, yeah. And, and why do you say that, that um, intuition is close to um, spirituality? Why would you say that? I think um, for me, intuition is really having that space to be open, um, to put your guard down, to put the filters down and um, have that belief that there is a higher power beyond yourself that guides you, that supports you. And I think that's really important because one, it helps you get through the hard times. Um, and it really grounds you. So it helps you practice, um, you know, gratitude, but at the same time, it helps you to really um, tune yourself into other people's behaviors and actions and, and gain a better understanding. So it helps you form less judgments, which is always important. So it helps lessen those sort of what I call negative behaviors and negative attitudes. I think inherently, I'm quite an optimist and quite a positive person. So um, I do believe, yes, the reality of life is there will be ups and downs and there'll be hardships and there will be good times. But if we can perhaps shift the perspective more on a positive, positive outlook, on a more sort of gratitude-based outlook, it just gives us that little bit more stability. Um, and I think intuition is something that's quite key in, in all of that as well. So it's a sense of sort of um, trusting that things will work out, you know, whether, I mean, you know, taking that trust away from yourself, essentially, and putting it into the, the bigger self. Um, I think it's a bit of both. So having yeah. that in your own capability, so yeah. knowing yourself, it's a bit of self discovery. But along the way that knowing that you've got perhaps a predestined path, which can always change, right, because life is all about change. So it's a bit of having that control, but also giving that control away. It's all about balance. So you think like the sweet spot is somewhere in between, between the two. I think so. If you can, if you can find that sweet spot, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I found that, you know, uh, um, giving control away was, was very difficult. And, you know, as a child, mm -hmm. I used to get very angry about that, um, uh, Typical example, if I lose a tennis match with my younger brother, I felt that was a loss of control and I'd get very, very violent in, in those situations because um, I thought, you know, I'd be OK, but then I wasn't OK. And then it sort of I lost the plot. Um, but, you know, now, yeah, I can't play tennis anymore. Well, I mean, I can, but not as good as before. My brother beats me all the time and it's absolutely fine. Um,
what can you do? I guess you learn a lot about your emotions through these yeah. experiences, though, and I know you've written about it in your book. And I think that's important to actually feel each emotion as it comes, whether that's a harsh emotion or a good one, because it gives you that perspective. And I think certainly from what you've written in your book, you had that shift in perspective come because of that emotion. Yeah. What would what did you think of the book that I wrote? Would, I really honestly, enjoyed it. Honestly, honestly, you know, honestly, you're not just honestly. I haven't paid you yeah. for this. You know, I haven't. No, you haven't. No, you no haven't. good, good, good. Um, and I will say I really enjoyed it because I found it raw and honest. And I think I've got to that phase in my life where if I'm going to give time to something, I've got to enjoy reading it. So I, I did thoroughly enjoy reading it. I found it very honest. I found it very reflective and I found it very thought provoking and I could relate to sections of it. Um, and it was almost like a conversation in a book, which is what I really liked about it. And I know people have different perspectives on these sort of books um but I definitely did enjoy it for those reasons and you know um you said that you're sort of a fairly positive individual where where did that um spring from or 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 stem from uh when you were younger I think it's um perhaps a part of my personality if I'm honest I think I was very a, a very sensible very calm very mature child um and and I think I very early on learned that if you were positive things are always better right the circumstances are not going to change your experiences aren't going to change but how you feel is something that you can control so if you feel happier or if you feel more positive that, that's within your reach and that gives a whole different perspective to the situation that you're in so I think I've just carried on cultivating that kind of mindset as I've got older and I think maybe sometimes it's if you're in a lot of negative situations, very difficult situations, it's the thing that sees you through. And, and um, were you the oldest child or the only child? I was the oldest child. Yes, I've got three younger siblings. So, I mean, I mean, I was the sort of second oldest, but I was the oldest son. Um, I felt the pressure of, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, keep, keep, keep the boat floating and keep it moving forward um did you have that sense as well I think so and I don't know if it's uh, a cultural thing or whether it's an older sibling thing but you you do have that sense of responsibility that you are um perhaps a role model you're setting the way for the others um and I think your behavior is really different and I know that I'm very protective of my siblings I'm very easygoing otherwise until you mess with my siblings and then you know then I'm not um and my siblings will laugh about it because they're like you're so chilled all the time you know you're so easygoing you're so forgiving but when it comes to us you suddenly you know the the protectiveness protectiveness comes out and I'll still you know check on them now and say are you home where are you what are you doing who are you with is everything okay can I do something so you almost kind of develop that um I'll call it maternal or you know maternal instinct almost and I think um there's certainly a lot of pressure on the older siblings in general for in terms of achieving or careers or pe how people perceive you. So I, I totally relate to that. When, you, when you're older, you, you get different pressures. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt the sort of paternal instinct of, um, you know, making sure everything is done properly and, and in order and, you know, that whole encouraging vibe, uh, you know, which is, uh, you know, uh, quite a strong paternal instinct um and supportive as well a uh, supportive instinct um but i guess you know when i kind of burnt out and 
I found that I wasn't actually getting the support. I was like, oh, fuck it. You know, I'm going to start looking after myself now when that mm. happened to me. I think sometimes when you're the giver, it's really hard to receive. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to give to yourself. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly learning that as I've got older. And I think it's really kind of dawned in, 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 the, in my 30s, really, that if you're that em- empathetic, sensible, mature individual, um, you're so used to giving out to everybody else that it, you find it very hard to give to yourself. And that's when that well-being balance gets disrupted. And that's something that we obviously then have to pay, pay attention to. And, and, and who are your role models growing up when you were, you know, when you were that sort of super big sister? Yeah. You know, helping everyone and, 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 and taking all the arrows. Yeah, I just. I don't think I had one particular role model, if I'm honest. I think I um, learned self-reliance very early. So that was one thing. And what I tended to do was if I saw something good in somebody, I would pick up on that. And then somebody else, if there was a quality that I liked, I'd pick up on that. So I'd say I'd had multiple role models in that sense. that I tried to see the good in somebody and then I'd try and take that away. Oh, come on. There must be someone. There must literally, be someone who no if I'm honest literally nobody no celebrity no kind of family person that I looked up to no I think I was a bit of a dreamer I think I perhaps lived in this dream world of um books and stories um, so how about fictional characters and fictional stories that that, that really inspired you I don't think I had, a, a again, a role model. I think I enjoyed um, stories that were, um, you know, the kind of stories where somebody's in this impossible situation and there's an air of mystery and then they problem solve and get to the bottom of it. Um, so certainly Enid Blyton's books I really enjoyed because it was all about freedom. It was all about these sort of magical worlds. I really like detective stories like Nancy Drew, because again, she was like a self-sufficient girl picking up all the clues, getting to the bottom of things. Um, and then just generally other books that were out there really. So I think I drew a lot of um, my learning and my life experiences and my you know role model um, material from books. But I wouldn't say there was one person that I would say, right, that's, that's, that's it. That's who I was living up to and that's who I wanted to follow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you could have become a um, um, a sort of detective superstar. You know, was that was that on sort of on your mind, or was it all just doctoring from the start? You know, because of no, no. social. I to be a no, I wanted to be a writer. I was going to be this amazing author, um, penning amazing stories that everybody would love. Um, but it's interesting because now I've kind of picked up on my love of writing now, many years on. And I guess, you know, in medicine, we do a bit of detective work, don't we? We do a, a bit of problem solving. It's not as exciting as the stories that we read, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When, when, when did you decide that, you know, you know, you weren't going to be a, um, a famous writer, but really a doctor and you kind of knuckled down and got into that instead? I think it was one of those predestined careers when you come from a South Asian family, you only have a set of sort of four or five things that you can do. Um, and I was good at science. So it seemed logical choice and going to a grammar school with friends that were going to do medicine, it just kind of naturally progressed from there. 
Um, and if I didn't do medicine, I think I would have done a people friendly career. So whether it was something, you know, um, charity based or something that was very much um, in terms of caring for people, I think that was that was always this kind of gesture that I had that I'd go into a career that orientated me towards more sort of those giving skills. Um, but at the same time was academic and paid well because um, you know, from, from a young age, I came from a single parent family and I lived in a very South Asian environment and um, being the eldest female child, I found that there were a lot of judgments, there were a lot of prejudices, there were a lot of people trying to pull you back and discourage growth. Um, so it was a, a case of, well, um, if you are educated, people give you respect. And if you're smart, people give you respect. So it was always a case of, well, if I go into a profession that enables me that respect, people take me seriously. And if people take me seriously, then I can use my voice in the way that I need to. Um, and it's a positive experience for my family and my siblings in that way. So I think those are sort of all the reasons that I went into a career in medicine, because one, it gave me that stability. Two, it was sort of a respectful profession. Number three, it was something that I was going to be able to use my skills to the best advantage and give something back whilst still gaining something for myself. Yeah, and, and your siblings are all sisters or you have um, brothers? I have two younger sisters. One's also a doctor. So the second youngest went, went into medicine as well. My brother didn't. He was a bit of a rebel and has done various different things and is now settled in sort of business. Um, and the youngest one is in university and she's doing psychology. So she's going to fix us all. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and and your younger uh, sister who's, who's, who's doing medicine. Yes. Um, how is she kind of different to sort of how you've done medicine? Um, I think she got inspired by um, the TV shows like uh, ER and Casualty and House in particular. I think House was one of those um, shows that she really enjoyed watching. And she's um, about seven, eight years younger than me. And I sort of said, are you sure you really want to do medicine? It's a hard job, you know. Um, and she was like, no, I absolutely want to do it. Um, but it's, it's interesting because she's a GP now and we work in the same locality and we've never worked together and we haven't particularly sort of trained together or anything like that. But people that work with both of us say there's an uncanny way that we work in the same way and we communicate in the same way and we have the same work ethic. It just it's sometimes really intriguing, isn't it, whether it's genetics or the environment or, you know, perhaps the time we spend together that we have that same kind of outlook towards our work. And, you know, does that surprise you, you know, given that you've grown up with her and maybe she's a different temperament yeah. and personality? Absolutely. I think we have very different personalities, but it's always interesting to find out what people think from the outside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I see that in my son, you know, not normally he's he's not like me, but when he's out there in society, it's like a copy of me, which is a bit disconcerting. And um, I say it's not flattering because, you know, I see my shortcomings, um, but then I can't, I can't tell him about it really because I think it sort of defeats the purpose of him finding himself. Um, I think shortcomings are what make us individual. Yeah, I mean, right. things are his strengths. You never know. It's all on perspective, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I can't say anything. I mean, I don't think it's my role, uh, no. you know, to sort of yeah. say, well, actually. 
this is pretty crap what you're doing here because it's a reflection of me and I can see it. And it and even quite easily say, well, dad, that's that's exactly what 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 you're like, you know. And it's like, okay, yes. Yeah, so I can, you know, okay, yeah. You know, I can see that argument. Yeah, I can see that argument coming. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because then you kind of, um, you know, uh, solve or set your ways better. Um, I see that sort of sometimes um yeah yeah it's interesting so um did you kind of fall into gp or, or was that the kind of plan to start off with becoming a doctor um i wanted to be a cardiologist actually all right um, it, that was my niche area that i really enjoyed um and then i think i eventually decided that i quite liked the continuity that gp gave me i quite liked following people through you know it's my love of stories I liked finding out what had happened with people's health or, you know, li little things like hearing their stories and having that relationship and, and having that continu continuity. Uh, and when I did my training, I had some GP posts and I thought I get to do a bit of everything this way. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a case of listening. Sometimes it's a case of, you know, problem solving. And sometimes there is the excitement of picking up um, unusual scenarios or re seeing people through difficult phases of their life. So it was a case of, well, I can, I can use all my clinical skills and I can use all my soft skills and I can use all my empathy. Um, and it, I just found it really rewarding. And the fact that it gave me better hours, I won't lie. Um, and it gave me the choice to do other things outside medicine as well. And I could explore special interests and other interests outside medicine as well. So that's how that kind of came about. What, what, what other things were you interested in other than medicine at the time? Um, I wanted to do various things, actually. I think I wanted to do um, a lot of volunteering work abroad. Um, I wanted to explore sort of charity avenues, um, give some support to community centres in terms of raising the profile of education for women, particularly of South Asian backgrounds. I found that that was something that was not really progressing, um, particularly in the localities where I was working at. So there was a lot of um, that kind of work that I wanted to do and I and I'll be honest I think once once you start working life gets so busy that you let go of some of these interests that you've always had because you just get into the autopilot of um, living your day-to-day -day life and I think it's more recently that I've kind of come back to well I've got the opportunity I've got the time and I've got the means so I will start exploring all these other things which is how I've got back into my writing and my coaching and having a bit of a social media presence and things like that. Um, and in doing so, you start overcoming some of your own limiting beliefs and, um, you know, get, stepping out of your comfort zone and everything like that. So it's been an interesting process from starting out, you know, what, 15 years ago as a, as a doctor and then developing into a GP and then sort of being a GP for 10, 11 years now. And then how that's kind of changed and how my role has changed and how the perspectives have changed about where I saw my career going and how and how it's sort of going now. So you haven't actually delved into the world of charity work. Is that still sort of a plan or did you I get do a involved? Bit. I do yeah. a bit. So I do a bit. I've got a few friends that are actively involved in charities that um, talk about education for women. Um, and in, in the locality, I do, uh, you know, sort of talks about um, raising the profile for women pursuing careers. 
And that can be young girls, that can be women with families, you know, it doesn't have to be education, it can just be exploring talent. So if they want to bake, if they want to sew, if they want to explore a hobby, if they want to become home entrepreneurs, you know, that's absolutely something that we should encourage. So I've done some work around that. Um, the other thing, obviously, um, I, we've touched on this before, is that I am very um, keen to raise awareness around the, the special needs and disabilities world. And that's through my own experience. So I do a lot of work around that. So whether it's talks or whether it's um, fundraising or whether it's making like a supportive network for parents. Um, so I try and find avenues and opportunities to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a topic we can come back to, um, um, a, an important topic that we can come back to. Um, in terms of sort of the whole notion around coaching, because I know that you've, You've, um, you're interested in coaching where where did that come from and, and um, how did that start um by chance actually I went to a uh, I think it was a free business coaching event with my brother he just wanted someone to tag along with him so it wasn't awkward for that weekend so I tagged along and got really intrigued in um, the other courses they were offering which were coaching business coaching and um, NLP neurolinguistic programming and I got intrigued because it was a means of communication. And I thought, well, day to day, we have to communicate. So how could I make that better? How is this different? Why have I not come across this? Um, and my husband works in, in the retail world. So NLP is quite commonly used in, in sales environments. So it got me thinking and I thought, well, this is really intriguing. Um, let me research a little bit more. And as I was researching, I came across a trainer who um, had also done some medical work. And I thought, ah, oh, medical NLP, this is really interesting. You know, why haven't I come across this before? Um, gave him a phone call and turned out he knew one of my GP trainers. So, so, so small world, you get talking and you start talking about your interests. And he said, why don't you do the course? Why don't you do the NLP practitioner course, do the coaching? That's something you want, you'd like to do. And that's how I kind of fell into that. And when I did the training, I really enjoyed it. Um, and an extension of that was clinical hypnotherapy. And this, again, falls into the sort of realms of the mind and spirituality and love of stories because hypnotherapy scripts are essentially stories. Um, and so I did all of that. And, and it was an interesting process because whilst I was doing that, I think that was the pivot for me. So it was a pivot in the sense that everything I'd perhaps been holding on to in terms of baggage was something that I could release and say, right, okay, well, these things don't hold me back anymore. Um, and gave me a fresh perspective of where I could go with, you know, the kind of circumstances I was in or the skill set that I had, or actually that vision that I had for making a difference in, in some capacity. And then you, you just get really focused with that. And it then just kind of progressed from there. Um, and then I've kind of branched that coaching out into various avenues. So coaching medics, um, running courses, doing well-being, but particularly kind of um, coaching in the wider sense. So you, you essentially coach in everyday life. You coach when you're parenting, you coach when you're talking to your colleagues, you coach when you're talking to your friends. Um, and when I do all the other work that I've talked about, again, that's coaching people into thinking and reflecting um, and just taking ownership of their stories and their lives. So, you know, you'll, you'll start seeing how everything connects for me. So it's always about people's stories, journeys, change, uh, making a difference, positivity. I think these are all sort of the key words for me. Um, and really, in essence, everything that I kind of work towards or um, everything that I'd like to embody. 
And and where do you think the biggest obstacles come when we lose that positivity um, in life? What are sort of things that the stoppers um, holding on to these things, you know, the, the positivity ropes, so to speak? I think positivity is like a high energy state. So you, you, you remain focused and you remain grounded and, and you and you have that belief. And if you lose positivity, I think you sort of it's almost like sinking, sinking into a, a, into a, a dark place, a place where you don't have hope. And I think hope is a big word when you lose hope and you use, lose that light and you lose that belief in yourself and you lose that awareness, you just become into this state of just being and sometimes that's a good thing if if there is light in that space but if it's a completely dark space it becomes very difficult to come out of that and I think I'm very much somebody that knows that life is always going to be hard it's always going to be a different kind of hard um, and you just keep working through it and if you keep working through it you'll utilize your skills that you've learned from the last hardship to the next one um, and that's not to say that there haven't been perhaps those dark spaces and patches. There have been, but I think positivity is that rope out of that dark space. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it helps you go up back to where you need to be. Um, and I think if you lose hope, you know, lose hope, lose sight of that, lose that rope, then you're in that space for a longer period of time. And time is short. Yeah, yeah. What 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 are sort of tips i mean you know i mean it's sort of very uh, um very cliche but you know what are sort of things that uh, that you can do which are reasonably simple that give that hope back to people who you know who need that uh, extra help in positivity i think acceptance is the first thing so acceptance of your circumstances acceptance that this is hard um, and and everything that that entails. So is it hard for you? Is it hard for those around you? Secondly, it's that validation. So every emotion that you're feeling, whether it's good or bad, is valid. Um, and thirdly, allowing yourself to be in that space, to have that emotion and to have that time and that moment to accept it. And then the next phase is really the next steps that need to, to get you out of that. And there's no time frame for those steps. You can take the time that you need because everybody's different and everybody's circumstances are different. But those steps need to happen. If you get stuck at one stage, then you're just stuck. There is no movement. There is no momentum. Um, and I think that's pretty much how I would encapsulate that phase in your life, that if you are stuck, you must just keep that momentum going, slow as it may be. Yeah. And, and do we have that innate ability to step forward um or you know do we need help from other people what what do you think of that i think a bit of both yeah. you know everything like i say everything starts with self so you have to allow somebody to help you as well yeah. um so i think that's that's one thing and you have to allow yourself to receive that help so there's a lot of that um, but we always have a lot of hidden abilities and even our weaknesses, I call them hidden strengths because we just haven't realized that yet. Um, and we can pull out the bag, right? So we have an imaginary bag full of all these skills, um, all these strengths, all these resources. Some are weaker than others. That's absolutely fine. But they're always there and we can tap into that when we need to. 
um, and other people can you know help us in in that capacity um, we can take inspiration from people so certainly if you know you do have role models or you have somebody that you can really aspire to be like then that's something that can help as well in that situation um, and certainly if we start believing that we can do things then the steps become easier to follow through with yeah yeah and and you know go, going back to um you know you said that you had baggage that you let go of yes. limiting beliefs yes could, 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 could you tell us what what they were at the time? um yeah so um i think there were a lot of things um i'm perhaps uh what i'd call a reserved person so i was always that that child in class that didn't want to put their hand up didn't want to be seen although I knew the answer I didn't want any attention I didn't want to be seen I didn't want to be the center of attention anything like that and you know talking in front of people doing presentations being visible was not my thing it made me very uncomfortable so that was certainly one thing and I wouldn't be here talking to you now if I hadn't let go of that <laughs> um and and just those sort of you know what everybody has a fear of failure fear of making a fool of yourself fear of judgment fear of what people are going to think um fear of sometimes trying something that seems impossible and you build up all these events of people telling you that you can't do something and then you start believing that and it comes back and it's you protecting yourself in a way but that's the hindrance it stops you it stops you from doing what you really want to do and sometimes you've got to get to that crux that tipping point of like you're in a really uncomfortable position so either you're going to go backwards or you're going to go forwards and often if you can let go of some of those limiting beliefs it just propels you that little bit more forward so it it was that nlp i think course so. that kind of tip tip the um tip the balance i would tip say it's the balance. the balance yes and i think the propelling factor was perhaps when i had my son and i think that really created a complete shift in the way i see life and and see the world and i think those two things in combination came quite close together uh, and that completely shifted things for me um tell us about having your son um, so yeah, quite standard, decided to have a baby, obviously, um, difficult pregnancy, difficult birth. And then really it was, it was the changes after that. So it wasn't how you'd expect things. You, we always forward plan. We always create, um, an image of what life will be like. And we, um, you know, create these goals for ourselves. And when that doesn't happen, it suddenly is like a barrier. Oh my God. You know, and it hits you as an unexpected event. And so, um, with Rehan, he has developmental delay, he's on the autistic spectrum. So the whole process of, um, you know, how he was developing as a baby up until now, he's age nine, all the kind of challenges that came along the way. And I talk about not just health challenges and parenting challenges, we're talking about career challenges, financial challenges, relationship challenges, navigating the world and society kind of challenges. There was a lot and it all came together. Um, and it was probably the most vulnerable time for me because here I was, okay, you know, it's not, it's not sailing along smoothly, but things were okay. I was in control and suddenly you feel like you're out of your depth um, and everything that you know has changed. And then it's very much relying on that sense of self-reliance. Well, how am I going to get forward and how am I going to get past this? And, and I think as he's grown and because he's very neurodiverse, I think I've learned a lot from him because he sees the world in a very different way. So it's very subtle things where he would be really attuned to a sound 
or really attuned to the weather or you know he would see things and hear things that I'd completely missed because I'm in this blanket world of just living and just doing and you know that semi-autopilot thing um and I think it really kind of grounded me to the sense of living if that makes sense to so the fact that yes we have this time now am I really experiencing everything fully so have I really taken notice of the sun shining? Have I listened to the birds outside? Have I noticed that a car's driven past? Have I noticed that I'm maybe feeling hungry or feeling happy? Just all those little moments that I think we tend to overlook because we put our filters on. I think I became a bit more attuned to that through his experiences and tried to really live experiences through his eyes. Um, and that kind of positivity and that kind of directness as well I think I picked up from him as well because he was just very direct with everything there was no filter of being too nice or um, you know being mean it was very much I want this and this is how I'm going to say it um, and it's interesting then because it starts putting a perspective on the boundaries that we create and and the stresses we create in social navigation and, and relationships and um, I'd say I've learned social skills from my son you know if you say it direct that's the best way um, you don't need to kind of cut and wall pad it or anything like that. And um, I think that that's probably um, kind of two things I've picked up from him uh, and carried forward. And it's been an interesting journey. I mean, I could probably talk for hours and hours about it, but I think, you know, for the purposes of today, I think I need to keep it nice and brief and short. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't have to. I mean, I'm more than more than happy to hear, uh, you know, the extended version. What was the most frustrating thing about your experiences of having your um, child um, and the changes um, you know all those multi-dimensional changes that you yeah. that you mentioned uh, that you experienced um, stigma judgments lack of compassion a lack of inclusion um, lack of acceptance of disability and diversity this all is coming from where um, everywhere right. everywhere so in families, in the social settings, in workplaces, literally everywhere, everywhere. And sort of what got you angry or frustrated the most from, from which aspect of that? I think um, as I've kind of navigated the last nine years, it's been a growth for me to, to kind of navigate this journey. So um, initially, it was very much like, oh, you've got to get through each hardship and you've got to deal with each obstructive comment or um, obstructive scenario. So I'll give some examples. Um, I had to leave my salaried post because I couldn't get childcare. And but why, when I say I couldn't get childcare, it was really difficult for family to try and help because of his needs. Um, and obviously, everybody's got their own commitments and health problems. So um, I had to put him in a nursery when he was two. And um, nursery hours um, are quite reduced compared to GP hours. Um, and so I had to leave my salaried post, I had to locum. And in order to do that, I was dropping him to a nursery that I trusted and finding a nursery was very hard. So I would drive 40 to, uh, 30 to 45 minutes to drop him to nursery. And then I'd drive another 30 to 45 minutes to get to a workplace. So I had sort of set locum places. And at the end of the day, I would then do that journey. So I was doing a three hour round trip just to get him to nursery, me to work and do the, and do the run. Um, and that went on for about two years. And at that point, I would say the locum practices were fantastic. They really facilitated my hours to enable me to do that. And they were really understanding. But certainly other places I've worked haven't been and for you know 
following on from that, when I've gone back into roles as well, there's always been this kind of inflexibility or lack of understanding of um, changes that are needed. So if you need shorter days or if you, you know, want to do longer days, with just different hours or you know I tend to give my annual leave in a year in advance you know it's always been difficult so just normal things that people do in a work environment have been difficult but I think I've got to that stage now that I'm very open when I go into an environment and say right this is my situation this is how I work this is um my rota for the year like I literally am very um, organized with with my time and I will um, plan every eventuality so I always have a childcare step for a b and c um, and where I work now again they've been fantastic and I think it's just finding those people that enable those conversations and take it on board um, and, and I think that's really helped now in terms of my GP career to be in a place that is understanding and accepting and and there's no fuss, there's no criticism, you know, it is what it is. Um, you can work that rotor because obviously then, by then, your work ethic is well known in your area. So people kind of have that respect for you anyway. Um, but then when it came to sort of nurseries, um, so first one or two years was fine because of his special needs. They then decided they couldn't accommodate for his extra needs private schools um, and private nurses don't have extra funding. So then we had to go to mainstream. Mainstream, again, the obstacles are funding um, and how much care they can put towards a child. Can they give one-to-one -one support? Then it was sort of navigating all what they call the care plan pathway to get funding, to support him to stay in school. So all those sort of challenges alongside that. Um, and now we're homeschooled. So we've been homeschooling for two years. Um, because the education system just wasn't there for him, um, particularly post-COVID. We couldn't guarantee a one-to-one -one support. We didn't really have a tailored curriculum. They didn't have really high aspirations for his um, learning, whereas I know that he's got more potential. So then we've gone down the homeschooling route, and the frustration from that side is, well, if he was in school, there's funding, but for homeschooling, there's no funding, so we self-fund everything. Um, Healthcare-wise, um, you yes, you know, we know the NHS has limited resources, but for children that have special needs, there is no extra physio or OT or speech and language. Everything has to be private and everything costs. So there's all of that to take on board as well. Um, if you go to school clubs, if you go to special interest clubs, they'll say they're inclusive, but they're not. And by that, I mean that they will not tailor the activity to suit the child, yet they're inclusive in inverted commas. Um, and, and then just kind of how people perceive you as well. So um, there seems to be a lot of stigma around special needs um, or special needs parenting um, or, you know, people perceive uh, special needs parents to parents to be really kind of demanding or really highly strung. Um, and that perception is in healthcare or in social settings. And I think that's because you have to keep advocating. And when you have to keep advocating, you come across as pushy sometimes. Um, so there's a lot of that as well. Um, I think in terms of uh, inclusion in family settings, again, there's a lot of stigma about disabilities and a lot of beliefs around disabilities. So you have to start piecing that apart and explaining and advocating and deciding where you're going to invest your energy and where you're going to take that away. Um, where else? I could go on and on. Lo lots of things, lots of challenges. And, and, and how do you, I mean, you know, you touched up upon it, you know, you know, how do you keep going? I mean, I mean, there is no alternative, but to keep going. 
but what are what are sort of things that sort of keep that spark within you um bright and uh sparkly um i think it's um having that sense of purpose really so um i know what I want to do in life so I know that I'm going to continue working as a GP because I enjoy that and I know I can do all my other interests and it's just having that awareness of how much can I give and how much time can I give how much time does my child need so it has to be partnership so my husband has to be on board and he is on board which is how we manage it between us um, and then I think over time we have selected the circle that we need they say it takes a village, but a lot of people don't have a village. So you you pick who is going to be in your support network and who's going to be on board with that. And you just remove anybody that is um, toxic or negative or draining you of energy. You just have to. And I think you have to set those boundaries and say, I'm really sorry, but you know my time is precious. My energy is precious. And I only have limited resources of that. Um, and, and go forward like that. And then, like I say, everything else, your values come into play. Um, and, and I think, you know, and Rayhan's a very positive child. He really enjoys life. And I think that rubs off. So even when you've had a bad day at work or if you're really tired, I think for myself and my husband and even my siblings and, and the wider family that is in our social circle, his energy and enthusiasm rubs off on all of us. So he truly celebrates life. So any excuse for a party or a balloon or, you know, the world is magical. It's fantastic. And everybody that meets him will say he just loves life. He just loves everything. You know, everything is amazing for him. You know, whether it's raining, he'll be like, oh, wow, it's raining. You know, oh, look, there's a rainbow or like just little things that we just take for granted. He thinks everything is amazing. And, and that has to rub off on you. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, we've got a, um, um, I've got a child who is sort of on the spectrum and, and yeah, she does some crazy things sometimes, but it wakes you up, you know, it, it, it makes you more conscious of, of yourself, you know, rather than, you know, just the same old routine over and over again. And it, and it does make yeah. you reflect on, um, on your life, so to speak. I think honestly, I think I've got to the point. I'm, you know, you're talking about the 40s. I'm going to be 40 soon, um, and and I've got to the point where I think actually maybe it's it's um, yeah a blessing. I want to say a blessing because it's enabled a different perspective on life. You know, um, I never would have had this insight if Rayhan hadn't come about, and if Rayhan hadn't come about, I wouldn't have been more mindful. I wouldn't be mindfully living, and I wouldn't be changing myself. And if I wasn't changing myself, I wouldn't be doing all the work that I'm doing. And um, you know, I think everything kind of links in sometimes. And when we start seeing the world through different lenses and different perspectives, it becomes more wholesome. And I think that wholesome experience then obviously links with spirituality, doesn't it? The true sense of living, the true sense of being, um, and the wider philosophy around that as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know, as they say in the Four Musketeers, all for one and one for all. I think so, something like yeah, that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that 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 you know that really inspired me when I was a child. Um, and there was always one that was just a troublemaker. You know, I think it was. Dodd Tanyan or something like that he was yeah. he was the real yeah uh, thorn in in everyone and I still love that because I used to always like to be the troublemaker out of the whole family um 
but surprise, surprise, as I get older, apparently there's other troublemakers even worse than me, which is, um, yeah. The next generation always steps up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they always put us to shame for sure in terms they of do. being rascals and um, uh, anti, anti, you know, institution and, and sort of so on. Um, I mean, um, yeah. do you think, I mean, do you think there's going to be much change in terms of, um, you know, accepting these, um, accepting diversity and accepting, you know, otherness um, in society? There has to be. There has to be. Uh, there has to be. And I think it's a case of just advocating louder. And if enough of us advocate, it gets heard. Where do you think... So the, the cracks are going to happen, so to speak. Cracks always happen close to home first. Right. So if you can change your inner circle, then you they will in turn change their inner circles, and then it's a ripple effect. So each then that circle becomes wider and wider and wider. And any capacity that you get to talk about things, then you should. And any forum that you get to raise awareness, then you should. And if you have the means to speak up. And do something. So, for example, I've recently done a talk for one of the local BTSs on special needs um, and disabilities to say how, as GPs, we could make their experience better as patients. So, what do we need to be aware of? Because that's a, you know, a learning gap for us, perhaps that we haven't even realised. So, until somebody raises it, you're not going to pay attention to it. So, it's those sort of things now. And I and I truly believe that differences can be made through little steps. Um, and if you are in a position where you have a bit more of a platform to, to speak up or you, you work in an area where you can make a difference, then if you start doing it, then people will start following. So it's creating that inspiring space, as it were, um, and, and finding that network of people to do so. And if you can do that, that's how change happens. You know, it always starts off small. We, can, we can't go for the full thing. We always have to do what's within our means and hope for the best. And I think that's, that's something that I really believe that I would like to continue doing um, because I'm already seeing the changes that are coming from those sort of conversations. What kind of changes have you seen so far? Um, so even within sort of my own family network, I think there was a lot of ignorance about neurodiversity. And I can just see now how relatives will treat Mayhan differently and they'll be much more accommodating. So if we go to a wedding, it'll be a case of, oh, is it going to be too loud now? Do you want to step out for a bit? Um, you know, or they will try and accommodate. Or if we go to somebody's house, they'll very much know that he likes light switches and, and light bulbs. And they'll literally take him for a tour of the house to try out all the light bulbs. So it's little things like that. And it, and it becomes heart touching because you can see that they've paid attention and they've really thought about it. And that really adds up and it gives you know that you that kind of reassurance that they've really taken this on board and they've really tried to adapt to their own behaviors to be flexible um so that that's sort of in the inner circle and i know that when i talk about things on social social media platforms people do engage and i do get messages about you know this is really difficult or you know we are going through um this sort of hurdle with the education system or, you know, it's just tough in, in terms of South Asian um, family setting and how to navigate that. And certainly from the talks I did with the VTS as well, the, the trainees just gave really good feedback and said, actually, you know, 
we hadn't really thought about this too much. And it's given us that little bit more of insight of how we might change our clinical practice next time when we're consulting with somebody who has, you know, disabilities or special needs and how we can make it better. And it's a two-way process. So if we make it better as a clinician, it's better for them in terms of their patient journey as well. So there's a lot, a lot that comes when you do something. There's always feedback, criticism, obviously, um, but then that can be constructive or actually then you know that you're not quite going the right way. So you just adapt to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and sort of what are the sort of biggest criticisms that, that you've taken in and, and thought about and, and um, think are reasonably valid? Um, I think that the main criticisms are when people have very fixed beliefs about something. So certainly when you talk about special needs and disabilities, there can be a lot of religious beliefs around it, there can be cultural beliefs around it, and people get very fixated on that. And then to try and challenge that can be quite tricky, and people might find that you're being, um, I don't know, a bit, a bit rude, or you're not um, taking on board their belief system sometimes. But I think as long as you respectfully challenge um, and, you know, you've got the right way to approach things and really, you know, you're not being aggressive, not being pushy, you're being very understanding, but still putting your point across, then it's not, a, not that's not a bad thing. I think you should continue to do that. And sometimes it's a learning point in yourself and you've not considered something or you've got something wrong, you've picked the wrong terminology or somebody hasn't quite grasped the concept that you're trying to put across. So, you know, it's a two way street. We're not perfect, but we learn through communication and connection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, feedback is the biggest um, yeah. change maker for us, I think. Um, mm. And, you know, if, if we're allowed to have that constant feedback and yeah, open to feedback, I think it will make uh, the whole journey, you know, that bit more worthwhile. Well, definitely. Um, I'd love to hear a few of the poems that you've written in your book, uh, A Rose of All Colours. Oh, okay. I don't know any of by heart, I'll be very honest. Um, I'll tell you how that book came about. I'd um, been writing poetry and it's a bit of catharsis for me. Um, if I'm feeling a bit kind of um, overwhelmed in my head, I'm a, a, definitely an overthinker. I have to get it out in some way. So that's how the poems come about. And poems are, are great because it's short and sweet and it gets everything out um, and it's open to interpretation. So people will get different messages from what you've written. So I had a Word document of all these poems I've written over time, and it was a, a varied collection. And um, Rayhan got COVID, and that was like the first cycle. Um, so, you know, obviously as a parent, you get really stressed out, COVID had just come about. And, and what I do when I'm stressed is I become very productive when I'm stressed, um, bizarrely. So rather than stressing and not sleeping, I decided I was going to self-publish my book. And, and my family know me very well. They know that if I've suddenly got this bee in my bonnet about something, it's probably because I'm stressed and I'm going to be productive instead. So I said, yeah, go for it. Just publish it. So I sat there in that week when I couldn't sleep, when he was sleeping and I was stressed out. And I uh, went onto Amazon and I created the cover, uploaded all my poems. And I decided that's it. I'm just going to put it out there, however it is. And that's how that, that book came about. Um, and it's a collection of... Um, poems that I would say are about life and life experiences. Um, some poems that I've written about the NHS and obviously the collection that I really wanted to get out there were the ones that were about neurodiversity and differences and acceptance. Um, so yeah, that kind of mixture. And so now it's out in the world. So give us, give us a taste of 
Oh, okay. Let me see if I have, I'll get my Kindle on my phone and I will share one with you. So it's opened up automatically. I'm going to go with the one that it's opened up with. So it's called Potential. <clears throat> um, right. Potential is infinite. Why do we box ourselves within the limits of our mind? See how the rain falls and rises to create infinite clouds across the vast sky. How free our hearts and minds could be if we knew how to break those limits, rising to realize our full potential. That is very much open to interpretation. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's a short one. I think that the main one that I really kind of wrote um, and, and kind of put my heart into was the one um, about Rayhan. So it was about diversity and it was very much written about him. Um, and I know a lot of people on social media have really liked that one, given me feedback on that one. I can read that if you like. Yes, please. Yeah. So it's called diversity. Um, for some, the sea is green and the sky is blue. I might not see it the same way as you. At times I'm different, but really the same. I have no label or diagnosis with a name. I might not keep at your pace, but I'll always try with a happy face. A little encouragement to succeed. With much affection, I will exceed. I see magic in candles, in all things bright, in balloons and bubbles, all that take flight. A warm cuddle is all I need, and maybe a string and my favourite bead. Happy birthday is all I'll sing, because cake and parties are my favourite thing. I know my gadgets, I know my tools. I love holidays, I love my splashy pools. I like friends on playdates with lots of toys. Sometimes I get troubled by too much noise. With reassurance, I'll soon be fine. I just need understanding and a little time. I share my love with all I know, and I'll be more amazing as I grow. I'm mommy's boy and daddy's star. My aunties love me the most by far. I see wonder and joy all around. I'm always up, never down. You'll see me busy, as much to explore. Many activities, but I'll always seek more. So many details I'll never forget. I see all the small things you haven't noticed yet. The world is awesome, exciting and new. I'd love for you to see it from my view too. That's awesome. That's that's wonderful and and um, uh, yeah, I see that in my um, in my daughter. Um, you know, um, that's great. Um, how can um, people get hold of you? What's what's the best way? And and um, what would you like next for yourself? Um get hold of me on social media i'm on linkedin i'm on uh, instagram as dr stetha coach i'm on twitter as well not too active on twitter as dr mary sharif um so i think that's my main social media platforms um what's next um truthfully i don't know i don't i've learned not to think too far ahead i tend to go with the flow now and if something comes to me, um, I tend to go with that and, and I let the, and at the, the energy carry me, the wider energy carry me is what I'm going to say. And I think um, sometimes that is an invisible guide uh, and we just have to pay attention and listen in and follow that. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Mavish. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me.